You're listening to The Brand Compass, conversations to navigate your way to building a brand fit for purpose and poised for success. Here's your host, Shelley Rosland. Hello there, my friend, and we are back for another installment. And thank you so much for joining us today. If you've been looking for a place where people are having proper conversations about where your brand meets the humans you serve, this is that place. Welcome. I'm Shelley. I'm your host on this conversational journey, and I have a super guest for you today who will be a really big help in a hugely practical and down-to-earth way. As service providers, we have, this is how I see it, we have three really deep challenges. Number one, we have to extract our extraordinary value from our heads and shape it into something that other people understand and grasp. Second challenge, we need to match our knowledge and what we can do with a real need in a client or customer and create a solution. And the third and last challenge, we then have to decide how we deliver that solution to the client to bring about the results that we promise. Sound about right? Give or take, I would think or feel that potentially two of those things at least have been a challenge for you at different points in your journey. My guest today is going to help you and I gain some clarity around the realities of shaping an offer for a client. And we are going to specifically talk about one-to-one offers, and we're going to park all other forms of delivery at this point in time. Now, I want you to listen openly to our conversation and see what could be possible for you, especially if you've fallen out of love with one-to-one work. Perhaps this type of service is actually your preference. Let's see what our guest has to say about it today. So let's get going then. Today, I'm going to speak to Janine Coombs, who is a service positioning expert who helps coaches and consultants to earn dramatically more from their one-to-one services without slogging their guts out or moving to a more complicated business model. She has an extensive background in business and marketing, including working with big brands like EE, Orange and Europecar. What I do love, though, is that Janine's hands-on experience is also backed by formal training. She has a business degree, a postgraduate marketing diploma, and for the last seven years has been helping small service-based business owners to position and sell their offers, my favorite people. She regularly speaks on stages like Atomicon, You Are the Media, and Market Ed Live. Janine is married to Rich. They have two children, and they live in a little town in Hampshire, about half an hour north of Portsmouth in the UK. Welcome, Janine. Thanks for having me. Yay. To kick off our conversation, uh, Janine, I thought it might be good to kind of call out the elephant in the room, if you will, and say that trying to run multiple offers at once is not the most effective business model, right? And I really love your message that comes across quite clearly in everything that you do and you're saying your content and when you're speaking to people, and that is to pick one, focus on one, keep things really simple until you've cracked it. So... Could you maybe fill our listeners in on how you learned that simplicity is best instead of trying to do all the things 
for all the people yeah. and perhaps maybe in your own work or maybe even with clients? Yeah. So before I dive into my journey, as it were, I do want to say that there are loads of people who are doing perfectly well with loads of offers. It can help. I can think of an example if people have heard of Elizabeth Buckley Goddard. Her business model is loads and loads of offers. It's loads of, you know, a, a variety of different price courses and things. Um, so it can it can work. But what doesn't work is trying to do to launch 10 offers all at the same time. So just to reassure people, if they're listening, I'm not we're yeah. not saying only have one. Don't offer. have more than one offer. Yeah, yeah. we're saying it's better to, to focus on one thing at a time. And what I see a lot of, and I suppose this is where my journey comes into it, it's better. it was better for me to focus on the one big thing where I could help people the most, that I could charge really good money. And it was something that really, really I could get my teeth stuck into. I could really make the biggest transformation with my clients, focus on getting that right first, and then look at other offers if I wanted to like build out a value ladder. And, and I, I have ranted about value ladders before as well. It's one of my fun things I like to rant about. You know, it, I think people tend to start at the bottom and work yeah, up. It doesn't necessarily need to be that kind of ladder. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they can work, but it's tempting to start at the bottom rung and, you know, build the ladder upwards. But then you've, what are you resting it on? You know, your one big thing. Good analogy. Is that, yeah, I love Mm. love an analogy. Love an analogy. What's your building you're leaning your ladder against? What's at the top of the ladder? You know, if there's nothing at the top of the ladder, it's so hard to know whether you're building the right offers. Every offer might have a different target market. It's a nightmare. And I think that comes to to what we want to move on to, isn't it? Is picking that one offer, focusing on that one offer. And I think you're also already intimating that you don't start with your, you know, power hour being your one offer because, uh, and I think also from my experience is that actually if you started with that higher offer, it would be so much easier to then develop what you think the the lead-ins to that, like what are the people that are at a stage before getting to there or two stages before. It gets easier, for me at least, it seems, to actually start with that that main offer or the higher offer because then you can actually work out the other ones. But we talk a lot about in the show about how to design your ideal or perfect, if you want to use the word perfect, but ideal working lifestyle for you. And sometimes you just got to make some really hard-nosed decisions, don't you, about how you want to do the work that you would do. So can we dig in a little bit in the work that you do do with your coach-shaped clients, in the work that you do with them, and you help them to pick that one offer? How do you distill that? How do you help them to get to that? Yeah, the things I take people through, it sounds really obvious. <laughs> it sounds really simple. And it sounds like I think a lot of my clients come to me thinking, why haven't I been able to do this myself? Like I've had marketers as clients. It's like, why can't I do this myself? And it's just so hard when you're working on your own business to see very the, hard. the trees. Very hard. But the key things are like, what do you enjoy most? What is using the most of your talents? Where What are people already buying from you that you really enjoy delivering? Um, what will, what is the problem that you can solve, which is the biggest problem that you can tackle, you know, the most valuable problem that you can help your ideal clients with. That's those are the kinds of things that I look at immediately when somebody starts working with me just to go, come on, let's, you know, usually 
the final offer, we will have refined the messaging again and again and made sure it's as good as possible. But the first, you know, get something out there and see whether it flies are those sort of key points. Do you enjoy it? Can you charge good money? Will will people buy it? Let's think of two types of people. I'm just going to digress a little bit there because of what what you were um, talking about. Um, So you might have people that are just starting out. I think this is very hard for them to do, right, Mm -hmm. starting out. So you probably have a couple of more layers. Like you say, like, oh, let's throw something out. Let's test it. So there's potentially a testing period, right? So, but let's, let's try first with people who are a bit more established. Say they've been in business I like to use the marker somewhere between four to six years because I feel like when you get to that point, you have, I think, got a pretty good idea of the type of people you don't want to work with and mm-hmm. the kind of work you don't want to do. So say say someone comes to you, they're six years in and they go, you know, I, I'm not making the profit that I'm wanting to. I want to reduce my work hours, but I am trying to increase, you know, my profitability as well. I want a better balance of how much I'm putting in and how much I'm earning. If, if you ask them those questions... What if they are doing too many things? Like, how do you how do you eliminate some of the things? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do we get to that one offer? Yeah, I think it's easy for me as the coach slash consultant Outside to ask person. them that. Yeah, to say, okay, talk talk me through what's on your roster at the moment, and then as they articulate it, they're like, oh, yes. yeah, it's that thing. That thing's the obvious thing. Sometimes it's not obvious, but usually it is. And as soon as they've articulated and said it out loud, they're like, oh, well, obviously it's it's this that I should be doing. And actually that's a distraction. And actually that one I don't, you know, that offer that I put out, it, why did I do it? I don't understand why I did it anymore because I'm not enjoying it and it's not bringing me any money. It becomes easier and obvious when you speak it out loud, like so many things. Yes. And I know um, when we were having our chat about what we were going to talk about, there was an element as well that I like that you touched on, where potentially you're also trying to serve too many types of clients as opposed to honing down on one specific one. Talk me through that a bit. Oh, I love this topic. (laughs) I know. That's what I wanted to hear. (laughs) I love it. Because I think there's so many nuances to this conversation because you've got your people who think they've niched but they really haven't it's still very broad and they haven't quite got to grips with actually there's subsections of their niche yes that actually need need a specific offer for each one so which one's the obvious which ones we obviously want to go for or there's people who are just really they, they they feel like they understand the um logic of niching and being specific they're just they're resisting it and they they can't help themselves from resisting it and they, you know, and either they decide to be a generalist, which is nothing wrong with being a generalist at all, or they just are stuck in this sort of um, battle of, I know I should niche, but I can't niche. I don't want to niche, you know, that kind of thing. And what, what I like doing is um, my solution, if you, if you will, is that you don't have to niche your whole company. You don't have to niche your whole brand. Mm. You just have to niche your a product. It's a not even about niching. It's about being specific about what that one specific. offer is for. Yeah. And who and who is for and what it does. Yeah. What are they what's their problem? Who are they? And what's your solution? It's one one thing. And start with that. Do that. Nail it. Get it working. Get it profitable. Then you can have the next thing. Much easier. Tell me what you do or what you say when people go, I like the variety though. Oh, I love it. It's so common, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I like the variety. Well, if I'm being really cheeky, um, I feel like 
I feel like they can take it, then I might say something like, oh, you know, is it what sort of the variety? Is it the variety of some people paying you and some people not paying you and you enjoying some of the work and not enjoying some of the other work? And, you know, it depends how cheeky I'm feeling. If I'm feeling more tactful, I think I do just position it as you can absolutely have the variety. You know, you can absolutely have the variety, even if you only had one target, you know, one really tight target market and one thing that you were doing. Every single person is different. Every single problem they bring is different. And then, you know, even if that happens, you can add another offer after that. But let's let's do one at a time. Perfect. Good answer. When people can handle the truth, can you handle the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, okay. So I think that's helpful. I mean, just in in trying to even just start to think about what's the one offer they could focus on. And again, we're not saying don't have others. Focus on one, get it right, get it working well. You can always add another. Okay. So let's let's think now what I am interested in and I I try and get people to think a little bit more about is what one-to-one services actually have to look like in terms of physical delivery. So I'm a bit curious as to, because you've got so many coach-shaped people that you've worked with, you must have seen all kinds of ways in which people can actually do one-to-one offers. And I must say after the pandemic, I think more people are open to actually can break things up you can do some stuff remote. Like I'm interested to hear, have you come across any good examples of just adding different ways that you can do this kind of thing? Yeah, it's interesting. This is the part where I probably advise clients least. They usually come to me with their way. To focus on the problem and the solution. Yeah, Yeah. they know how they like to solve the problem. You know, my sweet spot is that sort of coach or consultant who's been going a bit longer and they've tried different ways and they've worked out what works for them. Um, So I've got one client. Yeah, so I've got one client. I mean, majority of my clients do work online on Zoom or Teams or whatever. One client sees their um, sees their clients several times a month. They have a, a big planning session, ninety minutes per month, and then they have some laser sessions, fifteen minutes each for the rest of the weeks of the month. Some of my okay. clients see their clients only once a month. Sometimes uh, I've got one client who sees her one to one coaches once or twice a month, and she wants to mix in some face-to-face, so she must see them face-to-face. Um, it's just yeah. how she pre- prefers to build the relationship and dig deep. Uh, another client only does coaching on Voxer, so no direct face-to-face contact at all. So, it, but it's okay, usually- For anybody listening, just ex- do you want to just explain Voxer in case anybody's not come across it as a tool? Yeah, sorry, jargon. Voxer is like WhatsApp, or even like SMS messaging, uh, text messaging only. You can you can share voice notes, little videos, but it's an asynchronous way of contacting people and talking to people. So if you happen to be there, it calls itself the walkie-talkie app. If you happen to be there, you could have a live conversation, but there's no onus on you as the as the coach to be there 24-7 and answer. And it allows sort of deep conversations. And the reason I like Voxer and I use Voxer for my one-to-one clients in between calls is, is just because it's not WhatsApp and it doesn't have all the chatty chatty parent groups pinging all the time. Um, I've got all my notifications off for text messaging and WhatsApp and all those other messages, messaging portals, but Voxer is my business one. So that's that's the only benefit for me really to use Voxer other than something like WhatsApp. It's 
it's my business channel. Okay. All right. So it's almost adding that little, those little extra touch points. And yeah. Especially with coaches and consultants where clients have got ideas, isn't it? And they want to throw something at you, see what you think or get advice. But obviously you price for that, right? So if someone's yeah. going to get Voxer access to you, it's built into what your offer is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was a little bit, so a lot of your clients then, is that all really retained clients they have over a period of time? Do you have any consultants that actually deliver, you know, consultancy packages, if you like, which is almost like a project-based thing as opposed to, you know, recurring revenue? Yeah, I think most of my clients will do contracts. They tend to do, not so many of them, of, of them project-based, but they will do you know, a six-month contract, a three-month contract, uh, you know, even if it's a coaching contract, some some a year, it's, it depends on how they know that they get the best results from their clients. Yeah, because you're trying to help almost with guiding the implementation of the advice or whatever it is that you're working with. Mm. Like. Yeah. All right, I mean, so we've, yeah. we've, yeah, so, I mean, we've touched, so I was just interested to hear if there were different formats for that because a lot of that, a lot of consultancy it feels like it has to be in person, isn't it? Or, or on virtual. Um, I just wondered whether you'd seen any models where potentially there is, say, you've got very specific advice that you always give the same set of clients. Do you almost like have an online library of things and go, right, work through these videos, then we'll have our first consultancy, then you do your exercises, then we'll do our next consultancy. I just wondered if that was a thing or not. A few of them do do that, but like I say, it's kind of they've – work that out themselves before they get to me, which is quite nice. It's like, okay, we don't have to worry about that. You don't need to go into that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tends to be more about messaging. Yes. Yeah. Because of their positioning and and deciding what it is that they're doing. So let's, um, let's move to another really um, challenging, because we talked about value ladder. We talked about focusing on the higher value offer and that's, the next element that people find really tricky is pricing, mm. right? So how, you know, how do we get and a lot of my challenge with knowledge workers or subject matter experts is to try and get them to, to flip that switch from the cost-based pricing or time-based pricing to, to value-based pricing. You know, can you maybe share a little bit around how you help clients with their mindset around how they actually price themselves and maybe talk through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I have to be nimble on this one. When I'm working with people sort of intensively, um, I do like digging into their own preconceptions about money and, and, and the way they talk about pricing, it's very revealing and everyone's different, but you can usually pick up little clues. Oh, okay, so you think... Yeah, this is this is what you're thinking about the money, and and it's not an example about pricing, but it's a selling example. Like um, one client I picked up on recently was using the word push. I'm going to push this, and then I don't want to push this one too much. And I, instead of selling, she was saying push, and mm. it, it made her feel like she was she was pushing something onto somebody else, even though logically she knows she can't help them unless they buy. And she's it's her job as a business owner to explain to people that what she's got and what's available. It was just that little language. Um, and I, I pick it up on pricing as well when people are like, oh, well, you know, preconceptions that loads of people still have, like um, so selling something cheaper is going to be easier to sell. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard the opposite. You know, it's really not, it's not easier to sell. If you've got something, you know, 2,000 pounds and you sell it for 1,800, is that really going to increase your sales? No, it's just going to mean that you're going to have to sell more to make the same money now, even though logically that makes sense. I think it's still this sort of, oh, well, 
to sell more, you, you've got January sales, isn't it? And, and Black Friday discounts. And um, if I discount, then I'll sell more. And it, it doesn't usually play out like that. I've forgotten what the original question was now. I've gone off. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Because we were talking about the mindset and the myths. And I think one of the myths is if something's at a lower price, it's a hell of a lot easier to sell. But like you say, actually lower price means higher volumes, which means mm. you need to step up your activity even more. And what people forget when they're pricing or they're valuing things, especially when they're knowledge workers or subject matter experts, is if you keep depreciating the price at which you're, you know, offering your service, you're devaluing the value that you've said that you promised in the first place. I'm really against dropping prices. Um, the only time I think I've really uh, decided to do a discount, if you like, is like when I was rolling out my group program, for example, mm-hmm. where it's like, right, I could really do with I wouldn't do it for free, but it was like, I could, you know, the market price is this, but actually this is my beta. What I'd really like in return is some feedback. So now there's a bit of give and take. Then I would give a discount, but they would still pay for it because I put a lot of time and money yeah. <laughs> into putting that knowledge and the program together. So I think you've just got to keep weighing those scales a bit, don't you? So that you're not always undermining what you're bringing to the table and discounting, I feel like really undermines where you're coming from in the first place. Yeah, I think as you're you're talking, I think you've highlighted a really subtle distinction between discounting and incentivizing. So you you wanted to get some people into the beta. So you're like, this is an incentive to to take action now. Um, It's not a discount. It's not a cheapening thing. It's it's an incentive. Um, And it is a really subtle distinction. I think it's just a little bit of an energetic Thing, it's difference in how you mm. approach it and how you feel about it. And, and another thing that cropped up to to mind when you were talking was, um, again, this sort of feeling that, you know, it might not be somebody selling something for two grand who wants to sell it for 200 pounds cheaper. There's this sort of feeling like, gosh, you know, maybe if I just sold a few DIY, DIY courses or like power hours, something much, much cheaper, then I could sell more of them which of course you'd have to sell a hell of a lot more to get the same same money. But also it's this feeling that um, you you might be appealing to a different type of customer. Um, And also like this, the whole thing about, I know it's really annoying and I know it shouldn't be the case, but the price is part of the value. If you're paying big money, the clients who pay that money are going to do more work, are going to take you more seriously, are going to value what you're saying more. And it becomes this weird thing that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If somebody spends £10,000 on coaching or £50,000 on coaching, the person who's... Oh, you're pushing me. You're pushing me now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, gosh, there are people... I I had a friend... um, um, who spent £60,000 on a coaching package, which said, you know, several things. She she had the money to spend. You know, she did not go into debt. This is, this is a woman who was turning over a lot of money already. So already she's got that traction to find that money to spend on a coach. So already, you know, a 10% increase in her revenue would be, mean much more to her than somebody who's only earning a few grand a month. So it's sort of... Mm. It's 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 a positioning piece. It's a mindset piece. Um, 
you know, if you're if you're increasing your prices a lot or decreasing your prices a lot, you could be shifting into a different target market bracket. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You're actually changing who your target audience is altogether and the types of problems you're solving. Because you mm. can't go and solve all those big problems now for a grand, whereas actually mm. you need to be selling that at five grand. Um, mm. You can't be solving the same problems at those same price points. So you almost got to use them as little checkpoints for yourself, don't you? Mm. Okay, so if we've got a consultant or a coach, advisor, educator, someone who's an expert in their field, they're busy delivering one-to-one services, what's the one big takeaway that you want them to get from today that you think, right, if they've listened to this episode... I want them to do this one thing. Um, I think it would be lovely if we've got people listening who think, who who are juggling and trying to develop several offers at the same time. If they could say, oh, okay, this is a a wake up call. I just need to go with this one thing. And it would be wonderful if they could think, oh, do you know what? Now, now listening to that and thinking about it in this way, it's obvious that this is the one, you know, and that's what I need to focus my, my energy on. That'd be nice. And of course, we're not saying get rid of the rest. We're saying no. pause, focus, one first. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. I know you've also got a resource that you wanted to share with the listeners that will actually help with all of this. Do you want to just share that now before we go into the close? Because I think it's probably helpful for exactly what we've just talked about now. If you would like to go to janinecoombs.co.uk forward slash ultimate dash guide dash selling dash service dash offers sorry it's quite a long url um it's my ultimate guide (laughs) it's my ultimate guide to selling packaging and selling service offers which takes you through step by step um how to put together a service offer that will sell Brilliant. So I think that's because that's quite useful because having the discussion and then actually sitting down and doing the job is two very different things. Oh, right. Oh, I really enjoyed that, Janine. I, I mean, I think I think we could just carry on more because the, the whole pricing thing for me, it is it very much affects positioning, like you were saying as well. Um, but it is the whole encompassing thing of um, and what I try and say to clients when they trying to solve some problems that they're for for a customer where they're trying to solve problems for a customer. Sometimes they get a bit um, locked in the problem they think that they're solving. Mm. Um, and I do that toddler thing where I go, okay, yes, but why? Like, but what does that solve? And then as you, as you move up through the why questioning, you get to that, well, actually, so the real big problem that you're solving is this one here. Yeah. And they're like, oh gosh, yeah, I guess so. I said, mm. right, now move all of what you're saying to what that problem is that you're solving. Not this one about how you build a house out of Lego. It's actually how do you put all these Lego houses into boxes and ship them in a truck (laughs) to think of a really weird analogy. But yeah, so what you're actually not helping people doing is building those Lego houses. What you're actually helping them to do is layer up those you know, those boxes onto a pallet and into a truck going somewhere. I'm not really sure that metaphor works. Does it work? No, I like that. Okay. Yeah. It's scale, isn't it? It's scale and it's, yeah, I like it. Yeah, there's bigger problems to solve. And generally, if you're an expert, you are solving the bigger problem, not the immediate one that seems to be surfacing in the front. Yeah. Because that that makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a fun dance. Um, I usually talk about selling what people want or even say they want, like matching that need, like their words that they're coming out with and then giving them what they need. So sometimes it's a horrible way of saying it is a bait and switch. They want this. And then actually what you're giving them, like weight loss is, uh, I don't know why I always think of weight loss, but like people say they want weight loss 
But what you're actually giving them perhaps is mindset, you know, a better way to think about nutrition, you know, all these other things, but they won't actually say that. That's not the hook, mm. as it were. Yeah, because I think the immediate problem they're trying to solve is is losing weight, but actually mm. weight is as a result of many things. Yeah, yeah. And then you can go the other way. To, to your point, you could go the other way and investigate sort of what's the motivations and the emotional reasons why. Yes, that's that's a conversation yeah. for another time, perhaps. Yes, I know. I think so. There's an episode two if we can get all the tech to work. Yay. <laughs> all right, I got loads for that. Like you have for me, you really have a special gift. I mean, you've been pretty sedate for the Janine I know on social media, I have to say. <laughs> you have you have a really special gift of teaching though, with a really fun and um creative edge. You're very clear in how you teach people. It's so easy to understand, you know, when you are talking and you're just so smart. You're a real smart cookie. Um, <laughs> it's a pleasure. So now anyone listening today who has resonated with what you said, they want to know a bit more about you and the work that they do. Where can they go find you? What's your preferred socials? And you can give a website as well, but I'll pop all the links in the post. Oh, thank you. Yeah. LinkedIn is my home uh, for social media. Um, you can go to janinecoombs.co.uk and you can sign up to my email list there if you really want me in your inbox. I thought you were going to say your bin box. <laughs> it did sound a bit like bin box. Not in your bin box. Your inbox. Your inbox, please. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining this conversation today and sharing your insights, Janine. I love seeing your content and hearing you speak. Hopefully over time we can have more conversations like this. We've already, I think we've got another topic we can go into. You just give me hope that knowledge workers can really truly find joy in their work and yeah. actually be remunerated for their genius. Yes. So thank you very much. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Has this made you fall back in love with the idea of focusing on one-to-one -one work? Or has our conversation helped you to see that your one-to-one -one work could be delivered possibly in different shapes and forms and still be enjoyable? The key to all of this is to take the time out and figure out what you really want to be doing and matching that with what your ideal clients are needing help with. Don't listen to the maddening crowd. Listen to what your gut instinct is telling you. Do not, you do not need to do all of the things for all of the people. Pick one and do it well. Then you can add to it. Who do you know who could do with hearing this conversation and Janine's insights? Go on, share this episode. You know you want to. Until next time, stay strong, believe you have value and make good brand decisions. Thank you for listening to The Brand Compass. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your entrepreneurial friends and help them make good brand decisions. Until next time, let's keep the conversation going at shellyrosland.com.